Good morning. Can you hear me? I can. I really don't need this microphone. My name is Eddie, and I want to thank you for asking me here. I also want to thank all of you for the wonderful reception I have received, and all of the wonderful visits I have got to have with the Al-Anon and the AAs. God bless the alcoholic. Without you, I would never have learned this way of life, that I can live a life that is happy, joyous, and free. I'm going to talk about the history, and I'm going to talk about our founders and our forgotten co-founders. To me, they're forgotten, Dr. Bob and his wife, Annie. The best way I can do this is to tell you my story, because I think you should know where I met these people and how well I knew them. Some of them I didn't know very well. I've been working for three years on the history of these some of these people. Of course, we have books on a lot of them. But my what I tell you this morning will be my personal contact with them. I was born on a ranch in Texas, and I'm getting ahead of myself. <laughs> I'm an old lady. You stay around this program long enough, it's going to make an old person out of you. That I guarantee. I can't see very well. I can't hear worth a darn, and I'm gimpy on one leg because my cat knocked me down, but other than that, I'm in fine shape. <laughs> I attended my first non-alcoholic meeting at 2200 West 7th Street, Los Angeles, California, September the 22nd, 1944. So that makes me... <laughs> if I make it till September, and I have no reason to think I won't, I will have 53 years on this program. That's a long time. <laughs> I've seen it all and I've heard it all. There's nothing new. There's just a repeat of the same old thing. But I love every minute of it. And I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. When I can't make my meetings and when I can't make my AA meetings, I hope the good Lord will take me off this earth because it won't be worth living for me. I was born on a ranch in Texas, the only girl in the family of seven and a baby. And I was spoiled rotten. <laughs> to make my situation worse, my parents lost a little girl three when I was three weeks old. And that really fixed things up for me. We used to have a saying in the old days, she ruled the roost, and I can tell you for sure I ruled the roost. <laughs> and it didn't stop until I came to this program. My father died when I was 10, 
and I had a perfect weapon. If I was told I couldn't have something or I couldn't do something, I would start crying and say, if my daddy was alive, I could. And that did it. That did it. Well, just before my 20th birthday, I got married. And I married a compulsive gambler. And that's a story in itself, but we're not going into that this morning. <laughs> but you know I couldn't do a thing with that man. He wouldn't do anything I asked him to do or that I told him to do. He wouldn't quit gambling. He was considerably older than I was, and he was an old bachelor, and he was sot in his ways. He sure was sot in them. Well, I solved that problem like I had all the problems that I'd had in my life. I divorced him. <laughs> so you either solve the problem my way or I walk away from it. it. Took me a long time to get out of that one. Henry Celine's alcoholism is the only problem I ever ran into in my life that I couldn't <coughs> solve my way or walk away from. Now I knew this man drank too much before we were married but I knew that once he had a home and somebody to care about him he wouldn't drink like that <laughs> nobody else in this room thought that did they <laughs> thank God I didn't have very many years of it just under five years I don't know how you women survived who had 30 and 40 years of an alcoholic marriage because just under five years almost destroyed me. I was living one day at a time, not our way one day at a time, but I refused to think about the future. I did what was right in front of me to do. Now, we learned that in Al-Anon, too. But I didn't bring that this program with me. Well... I always knew that somehow, someday, we would find a solution to his drinking problem because I knew this man did not want to drink. He was a daily drinker until we were married, and then he became a periodic, and he had long periods, some long periods of sobriety and some not so long. <laughs> but he stayed sober 11 months one time and a year another time. So... He got on that drunk that he couldn't get off of. Where he couldn't get drunk and he couldn't get sober. And I'm ahead of myself again. Because I used to try to make him promise me that he wouldn't get drunk. And he'd say, I don't know why I got drunk this time. I was just going in with the guys to have a couple of drinks after work and come on home. And I don't know what happened. And until I know what happened, I can't promise you I won't do it again. Well, if I could get that promise out of him, you know, everything's going to be all right. So he got on that drunk he couldn't get off of, and he ended up in a sanitarium. And this was not like a treatment center today. This was a place where you stayed three days and sobered up under medical supervision, period. While he was there, a man from AA came and talked to him. And that was on a Thursday, and he said, if you've got a brain left in your head, you'll be at that meeting 
at 2200 West 7th Street tomorrow night at 8 o'clock. Well, we were there. We walk into a room, about 200 or more people, and we thought we were in the wrong place. They were all dressed up. You know, in those days, we used to believe in cleaning up the outside as well as the inside. <laughs> so we were about to leave, and a man came up and said, Can I help you? And Henry said, We were looking for Alcoholics Anonymous. He said, You're in the right place. Go sit on the front row. <laughs> that way you won't miss anything. <laughs> well, we always sat on the front row until we started having tables. And I still like to sit on the front row. I want to know what's going on. That's the reason. You know, I'm an old woman, and I should have been back in that room resting the last <laughs> couple of days. But there's ace and almonds out there to talk to, and I can't stay back there and rest. <laughs> i got to get out there and see what's going on. Well, sharp, 8 o'clock sharp, the leader opened the meeting. He had someone read the steps, and then they had a newcomer talk who had six months on the program. And then they had an old-timer talk for 15 or 20 minutes, an old-timer who had three or four years on the program. That was an old-timer in 1944 in Los Angeles. Then we had a short intermission, and the non-alcoholics were sent another room <laughs> that's the only way in the world I would have ever gotten there because <laughs> there was not a thing in the world the matter with me the only problem we had at that time was that Henry Celine got drunk too often to suit me I didn't have any problems. I was better than you are. I was smarter than you are. And I was damn sure better looking than you were. <laughs> and you know, I wasn't so shabby in those days. <laughs> I was a pretty good-looking chick when I got here at 30. <laughs> well, our main purpose in that meeting, now this is the wives of Alcoholics Anonymous. You had a husband in that meeting downstairs or you were not upstairs with us. That changed when we got our traditions. We'll talk about that later. Our main purpose was what can we do to keep the alcoholics sober, help the alcoholics stay sober, beg your pardon. And we learned some things. We learned to get off his back. We learned that the alcoholic had a physical habit of drinking and not to worry if he had a cup of coffee or a Coke in his hand all the time. You know, my husband was sober 39 years and four months and he still had a cup of coffee or a Coke in his hand. He'd have six or eight Cokes open in the house at the same time. <laughs> Never got over that one. We learned a lot of little things like that. And we learned that the alcoholic could not tolerate alcohol in any form and to watch medications so that he was not given alcohol by a doctor uh, 
prescription drugs that hmm this hasn't happened to me in a long time I can talk all the time <laughs> and we learn any time that he had to have medical attention to be sure and tell the doctor or whoever was in charge he was an alcoholic so that he would not be given the wrong medication took me 30 years to use that one but I did we had a farmer with cough syrup non-alcoholic cough syrup with glycerin and I don't remember what it was we were told to keep a lot of sweets around the house because the alcoholic would probably crave sugar when he got sober and that a tablespoonful of honey was awful good for those inner shakes I could use one right now <laughs> I've talked to bigger crowds but it's been a long time and we didn't have any literature we had the big book with a chapter to wives and the family afterwards Bill Wilson always gave Annie Smith credit for those two chapters so we would read a portion of those and discuss it and then one of the women one of our old timers would get up and say a few words and um, they'd tell how much better it was now that their husband was sober those gals were pretty clever because they would tell some of the things they found about themselves that they had to change we call them defects of character today and the first night one of the women came up to me and she said you've done everything you can to get this man sober haven't you and I said I sure have we've tried everything okay now get out of his way and let God and AA have a chance to do the job you couldn't do and I did as far as AA was concerned but I still want to tell him what to eat what to wear don't wear that shirt with those pants <laughs> those socks don't look good I still want to tell him to how to drive the car <laughs> I didn't drive in those days but I could sure tell him how to do it <laughs> but you know that's one thing I learned that I had to unlearn because he got old and his eyesight got bad and I had to start telling him how to drive the car again <laughs> what goes around comes around <laughs> but it's been a good life about 15 or 20 minutes before the meeting was over downstairs some of we gals with oh four or five of us would go down the custodian of the building made the coffee and we would put it in crafts and the coffee cups in on trays and the donuts the damn donuts <laughs> I ate those things for years and went home every Friday night with indigestion until it finally dawned on me I didn't have to eat them <laughs> so we would march in as soon as they finished the Lord's Prayer and serve the coffee and donuts 
about 15 or 20 years later, some woman came to Burbank, one of the old-time women from the group downtown, and she, I was buying the coffee bar, and she said, My God, Eddie, you still pouring coffee? <laughs> <laughs> I'm still pouring coffee. <laughs> so nothing changes. And that was visiting time. And you know, that meeting started at 8 o'clock. It probably was 10 then. And we were darn lucky to get out of that building by 12 o'clock. We visited. And that's where we talked to the newcomers, the new people. And you know, I told you that people cleaned up the outside as well as the inside. We had one little guy that was shorty that came off a skid row that followed a bottle of wine to that meeting. And shorty is the only one that I watched get sober. He was so little that I could see the progress in him each week. He didn't have tennis shoes on the second meeting. The next meeting he had on clean clothes. So I saw shorty get sober. And do you know that Shorty lived on Skid Row for five years after he came in AA because that's where all his friends were? And he didn't know if he's going to make this program or not. He was a good AA and he stayed sober until he died. And he helped a lot of people financially and sponsored a lot of people. He was quite a, quite a man. Well, now we're going to talk about our, some other things. There was a group, there was a, 18 AA members met in a small room on the west side of what was then Westlake Park. The Friday following the Jack Alexander's article in Saturday Evening Post, they had a line two blocks long trying to get into that building. So they moved across the park to the Farber building, which is 2200 West 7th, and that's where the meetings were held from then on. Twenty-one of those people came into the program in the state sober, and they called themselves the Saturday Evening Post Class. I better get some water. What do I do with it? And they were a wonderful group of people. Now my husband and his sponsor were not of that class, but they had a dinner once a month and we were invited to that dinner. And that's where we got to really know Bill. And I'll get back to that later. Um, in 1944, these boys, men, excuse me, <laughs> gentlemen, <laughs> took up a collection and sent to Bill and Lois and told them it was time they took a vacation and it would be real nice if they came to Southern California. <laughs> of course they did. They did the same thing in 1945. And that was when I met Bill and Lois. Now, Lois came many times with Bill to Southern California. I don't know how many times. 
I don't know if I saw her 12 times or 20 times. I can't tell you. It's been too long ago. And it was just a normal thing. They were just people like you and I. And we loved them. Now, our non-alcoholic group would usually take Lois to dinner or some something while she was there. And Bill would visit with the AAs. And Lois always talked on Friday night to our non-alcoholic group. And she always told her story. And that was the first piece of literature that we ever had published was Lois's story. And it's still available. She had an awful resentment because Bill got sober and she hadn't been able to do it. And I had an awful resentment because my husband went to that sanitarium and got sober. And I had to keep working and these AAs were helping him. I didn't see that I was getting too much help. Of course, I wasn't ready to accept any. And look what he had done to me. I had to work and pay for that darn trip to the sanatorium because he always spent all his money. <laughs> so we're going to talk about, I'll tell you that's when I met Bill and Lois. In 1948, Bill and Lois and Dr. Bob went to San Francisco and they came on down to Los Angeles. And that was when I met Annie Smith. Annie was a wonderful person. She was one of the most spiritual people I have ever known in my life. There was a spiritual presence about her that everyone felt that came in contact with her. She was wonderful. I am very sorry that I didn't know her better or get to know her longer. She died in 1949. Annie started, to, she started in the very beginning calling on Dr. Bob's wives of Dr. Bob's alcoholic patients trying to help them. And I guess the job got to be a little too much for her because Dr. Bob treated 5,000 alcoholics in the 15 years before he died free of charge. So in 1936, Annie started a group for the wives of alcoholics in Akron, Ohio. And the principles of Annie's group are the same that we use in Al-Anon today. They're not worded the same. We say we welcome and give comfort to families of alcoholics. Annie said, come on in, my dear. You're among friends, friends who understand. We say we lead encouragement and understanding to the alcoholic in the home. And she says, urge your husband to try this new way. Evidently, your way hasn't worked too well up until now. We say we learn to live by the 12 steps adapted from Alcoholics Anonymous. 
and he says have a quiet time in the morning and talk to your God ask him if he has a plan for you today to reveal it to you she credited her spiritual growth to the Presbyterian Church and the Oxford group she and Bob both belong to the Oxford group and I will never cease to be amazed at, at the list of Dr. Bob's spiritual library it's amazing I don't know how one man could read that many books but he did you see they both felt that it was God working through them that they should not take credit for any of the things they did especially Annie and it has been awfully hard to find out very much about her we have one book 35 years of new beginnings I think's the name of it bear with me I'm an old lady <laughs> and there's more about Annie in that than anything I have gotten a hold of I have I found out a lot about Annie and Dr. Bob from Bill Wilson and I found out a lot from Dr. Bob's son, Bob Jr., who lives in Nakona, Texas. <laughs> People ask him where it is, and he said, it isn't, what's it near? And he says, not near anything. <laughs> it's not near any place. <laughs> and it's true, because we were there. <laughs> it's not near any place. I promised that man that I wouldn't talk all morning. <laughs> but I'm wound up <laughs> I hope I leave you some time <laughs> Bill Wilson always called Annie the mother of AA because he said without her encouragement and understanding in the very beginning he was afraid that sometimes he and Dr. Bob would have given up she used to sit and read the Sermon on the Mount and the Bible to them when they would get discouraged and she had great faith in this movement they called it then she felt that it was a direct gift from God as I do and that it was an answer to prayers she always sat in the back of the room at the meeting so that she could spot the newcomers when they came in and she'd go up to them and say welcome to our meeting I hope you and your lovely wife will come back again she never forgot anybody's name gosh I wish I had that gift that is a gift and it is a gift from God I guess because I sure don't have it <laughs> but he wasn't giving me very many gifts until I got this program I'll tell you I better go on and leave Annie or I am going to talk too long. When did I get up here? <laughs> did anybody know? <laughs> I have heard it said that Annie was the glue that held this movement together in the early days. And Dr. Bob was the rock. <coughs> which it was founded 
See, God knew very well into whose hands he was placing this program. He knew that Bill would go out there and get that job done and that Bob would hold him down and see to it that he does it right. <laughs> Bob Jr. says it sometimes took his dad a long time to make a decision that he'd married his mother after a whirlwind courtship of 17 years. <laughs> Bob said if he had a problem, he held it up to the four absolutes, which came from the Oxford group. Absolute honesty, absolute unselfishness, absolute purity of thought, and absolute love. If it passed all four of those, he was on the right track. And Bob hated anonymity at the group level. He said it was a violation of our tradition. Just as bad as if you broke it at the, at the public level. Uh, Bill is responsible for that when he wrote 12 and 12 when he told you you could have as much or as little as you wanted. Dr. Bob says it'd be awful hard for that newcomer one to talk to me, find me in the telephone book if he just knows my name's Bob. Be bad enough as Bob Smith. <laughs> But if I tell him I'm Robert H. Smith, M.D., he won't have a bit of trouble. Bill called Bob the Prince of the Twelve Steppers because he did more step, more twelve-step work and worked with more alcoholics in those 15 years before he died than certainly anybody before out very seriously anybody's sense. He was a wonderful man. I had the privilege of spending an evening. He used to come out quite often with Bill. I had the privilege of spending an evening with him in a small group where we could visit. There was six of us or more one-to-one -one business. I guess maybe I idolized Bob because he was such a spiritual person. Now, Bill was a wonderful person and I wish not to take anything from him or from Lois because the job they did was tremendous and we certainly wouldn't be here without them. But these people we just don't care enough about anymore in my opinion because I'm sure without them, we wouldn't be here. We used to write Lois when we had problems in our group because Annie's eyesight was bad, and she always answered our letters. Oh, I I'm, I'm ahead of myself again. It was Dr. Bob that was responsible for our 12 traditions. He told Bill, we're getting old. We've got to get some kind of guidelines going for these groups because we're not going to be around forever. Or they may go the way of the Washingtonians. Clancy talked about that last night, but I know that the Washingtonians got up to a membership of 300,000 before they folded. 
and all you had to do in the end to join the Washingtonians was sign a pledge you wouldn't drink, and it didn't make a few difference if you was five years old or 50. So they went by the wayside. There was another movement that was started by two psychiatrists, and one of them died. And it folded. But they worked very much like AA did. They, three or four of those, uh, in the early days, three or four of those would go out to the alcoholic and stay with him until they got him sober. Now I lost my place again. <laughs> But Lois did a tremendous job in, in getting our fellowship together. And she took the letters and the inquiries from New York, and she and Annie B., another Annie, wrote letters to them. And we adopted the name Al-Anon, which is a derivative from Alcoholics Anonymous. They did a tremendous job. And they did a tremendous job in, in the office. And I told you the first piece of literature was, was Lois's story. Well, we groups throughout the country, the family groups, had uh, written little pamphlets. And we sent those all to New York when they opened the office. And some of them were published and some of the things were, uh, some of the things we still use. Southern California, we sent in what we call the three deadly enemies, and they still use those. Gossip, religion, and dominance. They're not worded like we had them worded, but that's fine. They did a better job. Improved on it. We enjoyed Lois's visits when she would come, and we enjoyed Dr. Bob's visits when he'd come with Bill. But I told you about the Saturday Evening Post class and their dinner once a month. Bill's mother lived in San Diego. And uh, he went to see her three or four times a year, and he'd always call on the old-timers and say, Get the gang together, and I'll come up. And that's where we learned. We'd have dinner, and then we would stay in there because we, we were there at least once a month. We would stay and talk to Bill until 12 or 1 o'clock in the morning. And that's when he told us about the early days of AA, about the time they kicked him out of AA in New York. <laughs> These other guys wanted to lead a meeting. They wanted to tell their stories. They wanted to talk. And Bill was the one that led all the meetings. <laughs> Saturday and post-class did the same thing with 2200. They kicked out the two old-timers and took over the meeting. <laughs> so he'd say they'd write a chapter for the big book. They'd keep a copy in New York at the office. They'd give one to the New York group and send one to Akron. And a lot of times they got it back, and he and Ruth wouldn't even believe that it was the same thing they wrote. So they would rewrite until it was accepted. You see, there was a hundred men. Bill, that's what Bill always told us, that started, that were in AA, sober, when they started writing the big book. There was 16 when they got through. They had fought over every chapter, every step, everything that was put on paper until about until the rest of them got drunk. 
He brought the man from San Diego. He was living there then that was responsible for God as you understand him in the 12 steps. His name was Jim Burwell. And Jim was an atheist. He wasn't getting down on his knees if you've ever read the first first edition. He wasn't getting down on his knees and turning his life over to God because he didn't believe in God. So they tried to tell him he couldn't join AA. And he showed them they could. <laughs> it's over a long time. I don't remember how long. But he wrote an article on on uh, the writing of the big book. So it was a long... Bill was a very complex person. He was very humble sometimes. And sometimes his ego took over and he was Mr. Bill Wilson. He never said he was an alcoholic from the podium. My name is Bill Wilson. I'm on drunk. If I'm going to tell you anything about Al-Anon, I better shut up. I'd like to talk to you for about three hours. But I know your butts would get tired. <laughs> and my leg would probably give out on me. So I better tell you something I've learned in Al-Anon. Um, Bill made a trip throughout the United States and Canada. The traditions were published in the grapevine, I think, in 47, and I think it was in 48 after they were in Los Angeles that he made the trip to, throughout the United States and Canada and talked to the groups about adopting the traditions and the General Service Conference. The traditions were adopted in 1950 in Cleveland in their first international. So... When he got home, he told Lois that these family groups were getting in bad shape and somebody had to do something and she was the only one that could. She wasn't ready. They just bought stepping stones and I wish I could tell you that story. Uh, and she didn't want to, want to do it. But after the conference in 1950, she, she and Annie B. got together and got our al started. I don't know what's the matter with eating this morning. I know I'm getting old, but I didn't know it's getting that old. <laughs> it seems to be all time started. <laughs> um, they did a tremendous job. And you know, it's awful hard for me to not say <laughs> that our Al-Anon group, our Al-Anon office is in New York. I've been doing it for so darn many years. <laughs> I have to stop and think that we moved, that we're now in Virginia Beach. I came, told you I came to this program a mess. I think I have improved some. You have taught me how to live. Of course, until Lois came through made the same trip Bill did in 52, spring of 52, and asked us to adopt the 12 steps as our guideline with only the change that we carry the message to others instead of alcoholics. 
that was the birth of Al-Anon because we did adopt your steps but we didn't adopt your traditions because when Lois was there I said I had seen the value of them because we read them in our Burbank group and I said what about the traditions Lois she said Bill and I haven't started working on them but we will when we get home well I was Southern California chairman for Al-Anon in 1952 in November so in the summer I wrote Lois and asked her about the traditions and she sent me the tentative traditions that I could use at the conference providing I said they were tentative because they had not yet been okayed by AA in those days everything was okayed by AA that we did we adopted those traditions in Southern California in 1952. This program has saved my life. I know I needed to make a lot of amends when I came here. When I finally discovered there was something the matter with me and started working on my defects of character. And I have never been able to get anywhere on my defects of character until I trace back to see where they came from. Now I know why I had a temper. Because when I was three and four years old, my brothers thought it would be real cute for me to stomp my foot and throw things. Now I was still stomping my feet and throwing things when I got here when I was 30. And that ain't very cute. I didn't have any consideration for anyone else because I was taught to be selfish. I thought I was beautiful because I was told all the time that I was beautiful. I had one brother that I don't think ever missed a day telling me what, what a sweet, lovely, beautiful person I was. And I wasn't. I wasn't. I had all of the defects of character that you can think of. I. Uh, I'm going to chop it off. Um, you taught me to live. You taught me that I couldn't keep this program unless I give it away. You taught me that I needed a sponsor. My first one died after three years, and I discovered I didn't have a program. I'd been working hers. So I had to start over. <laughs> You need a sponsor, a sponsor. We, we're just, the alcoholics and us are just alike. We go around and we get a half a dozen different sponsors so that we can have somebody that will agree with what we want to do. <laughs> and you're not going to get well that way. And you're not going to get sober that way sorry I've been around a long time and I've seen it all you see when you go back out there it's different than when I go back out there my head screws me up and I get I'm a mess but we can smell you <laughs> And just because the alcoholic gets sober doesn't mean that everything's going to be all right.
It's not. You're going to have problems. <laughs> the problem of alcohol has covered up everything else. And when you get that taken care of, and don't expect him to get well overnight. He's not going to do it. And neither are you. So it behooves the alcoholic to have a little patience with us, too. Because we're trying to learn. If you're a member of Al-Anon. And a member of Al-Anon belongs to a group, attends meetings, reads our literature, and tries to live by the 12 steps we adapted from Alcoholics Anonymous. Anybody else is a non-alcoholic, and I get a little sick of my mother's of Al-Anon. My sister's an Al-Anon, when they've never been to a meeting. That makes as much sense as saying every alcoholic is a member of AA. Because if you don't belong to this program, you're not a member of Al-Anon. I don't have time to go on. This man's got to tell you what it's like. And I know a lot of you want to hear him. And I'm going to take liberty. Because I've been around so long. <laughs> and that big book was my Bible for a long, long time. It was required reading this when I came in. In this order. The big book, the Sermon on the Mount, and the Bible. You heard a vision for you last night. I'm not going to pull to all of it. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us, for we shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge that road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then, and I thank you.